Christmas, happy holidays, and welcome to the Psychedelic Theology Podcast. My name is Caleb Graves, your very sane, very normal host, and I'm honored that you've chosen to give some of your time this busy holiday season to listen to me for the next 30 minutes or so. In this special holiday episode of the podcast, I'm going to tell you a Christmas story like no other. On Christmas 1970, Over 20,000 hippies descended on Laguna Beach, California, in the USA, for what the BBC called a riotous birthday party for Jesus. This story involves copious amounts of LSD and hash, undercover cops, visions of Jesus, the hippie mafia, suspected FBI agents, local churches, long-forgotten bands, and so much more. So I hope you're buckled up and ready for this wild tale. As always, thank you for my Patreon supporters. There is special material on Patreon right now related to today's episode, including photos, articles, and music for you to explore. Membership starts at just $5 a month, and every little bit helps to support this ministry. I'm going to be traveling a lot to speak in 2024, publishing a few articles and maybe a book, and this is mostly coming out of my own pocket. If you enjoy this podcast or the other content I put out, please consider joining to support. Before we get started with this story, some context needs to be provided. History, especially somewhat living history, is a complicated thing. People can experience the same event and walk away with completely different, even contradictory recollections of what happened. The human memory is not a perfect thing, and it's not supposed to be a perfect thing. This is especially true when it comes to autobiographical memories, memories we often retell, and important stories that altered the way we see the world. One study in 2021 by Oberst et al. found that over half of people begin to create false memories when they're in a suggestible state or environment such as when a group of people gets together to reminisce on an event. This is true for closely-knit communities like Laguna Beach, where many of the people who attended the 1970 Christmas happening still live. Sometimes, published recollections are contradictory, or are interpreted in ways that seem to be unusual, reflecting current events at the beginning of the turn of the 70s. At least one prominent witness of the event, Beth Leeds, accepts the fact that memory is faulty and that people can interpret the same event in very, very different ways. At the beginning of her pamphlet about the 1970 Christmas happening, she says, quote, While each and every event may not be true in every detail, the events described contain a larger truth. This is truth that Beth describes as emotional truth. I'll also admit that I have an agenda here, and I want to be clear about that. I think that the Christian angle of this story has been almost totally lost in the cultural retellings of the 1970 Christmas happening. And the previously unknown or little-known original sources which I have unearthed seem to back that up. This was a very Christian event more than it was a New Age event. I'll focus a lot more on Christian elements than others have when retelling the story, 
and it may be different from how a non-Christian remembers attending the event, and for me, that's okay. I'm here to tell a story that's as accurate as I can see in the sources. I'm not here to tell you what quote-unquote really happened. Some of what I'm going to say is going to be disjointed or open-ended. I want you to have a sense of this event and the ways in which it has been remembered. I don't want to have an official Caleb Graves approved version of what is quote unquote real history. So let's go ahead and set the scene. It's early December 1970 in Southern California and things are, to put it mildly, completely unhinged in America. The Vietnam War was well underway. Just one year earlier in December 1969, the U.S. drew its first draft lottery, and the civil rights icon Fred Hampton was assassinated by the FBI. Earlier in 1970, the National Guard massacred four student protesters at Kent State, and local police murdered two protesting students at Jackson State in Mississippi. Dozens of riots, bombings, and violent strikes roiled the nation. And all this followed horrific 1968 events like the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam, assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., and the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. The psychedelic world, especially in Southern California, was in turmoil as well. The so-called Harvard Psychedelic Club had long been broken up, and states like California had begun severely criminalizing psychedelics. In January of 1970, self-proclaimed high priest of LSD, Timothy Leary, was sentenced to 20 years in prison after his 1968 arrest by Laguna Beach officer Neil Purcell for drug possession. But on September 13th of this same year, the leftist terror group Weather Underground broke Timothy Leary out of prison to prematurely end his imprisonment. The Weather Underground was a big supporter of psychedelics, declaring in their 1970 communiques that, quote, LSD and grass, like the herbs and cactus and mushroom of the American Indians, will help us make a future world where it will be possible to live in peace. But now we are at war, end of quote. Of course, the $25,000 the Brotherhood of Eternal Love paid the Weathermen for their work certainly was motivation as well, but there was also an ideological support for psychedelics that helped in their work. This was the California and national context of Christmas season 1970. And it was in this tense atmosphere that a young man named Curtis Reed decided a festival must be thrown a birthday party for Jesus. Reed was, by all accounts, a deeply spiritual Christian with an unshakable faith. A faith that, frankly, as I've read through the story, seemed to border on delusion. Posters were made far before preparations as advertisement. No acts were booked. A venue location was not established. Plans for food, sanitation, housing, and security were virtually non-existent. Three days before Christmas, when the event was supposed to happen, there was still no stage even built. But still, the show went on. An early poster of the event, which Patreon supporters can view on my account, 
is red and shows Jesus rising out of the clouds and initiating a new age. The poster invites all, quote, magi, lovers, and wise beings to come together to celebrate the birth of Jesus the Christ. There's going to be a cosmic light show, the poster said, and celestial music. A mistake on the posters also reflects that attention to detail wasn't as important as attention to spirit when it went into the planning of this event. Organizer and attendee Beth Leeds says that the poster included a reference to Revelation 7-4, which discusses the 144,000 servants of God which are sealed by angels. Instead, surviving posters actually say Revelation 6-4, which references the third horse of the apocalypse, war, which is rather fitting, I think, for this period in American history. Yet despite a lack of planned preparation, things somehow came together as if by magic. To someone like Curtis Reed, who was a true believer that this was an event ordained by God, this was probably understood as a movement of the Holy Spirit. Reed was later quoted as saying that this was an event in honor of God, so it was up to God how this would all end up. To some extent, it was a movement of God. The local churches, especially the Unitarian Universalists and Episcopalian churches, which were known for their tolerance of hippies in Laguna Beach, they donated so much, pots, pans, blankets, food, and more, for what locals realized might become a West Coast Woodstock. Over 300 loaves of bread alone were donated. Churches had also been a major source of mutual aid at Woodstock, and it was clear that they wanted to continue to play a major role at this event as well. But it wasn't just the body of Christ that made this event possible. This birthday party for Jesus had secret and unlikely allies. Undercover cops. As unlikely as it is, you see, police captain Neil Purcell, who would eventually become the police chief of Laguna Beach, and who had arrested Timothy Leary, well, he had a personal vendetta against drugs, especially psychedelics, and hippies. At the time the happening was coming together, undercover cops were integrated into the local hippie subculture of Laguna Beach. The Laguna Beach Police Department had embedded undercover cops into the same group of people who now found themselves planning the Christmas happening. As the undercover agents reported back to the brass, city administrators started thinking. What if tens or, God forbid, hundreds of thousands of hippies show up in Laguna Beach and there is no festival? That would be a disaster. At the time, Laguna Beach was only about 15,000 people. And if the same number of attendees that were at Woodstock showed up to this happening, the town would be outnumbered by hippies by 30 to 1. Police decided to secretly help the event from behind the scenes, hoping that they could keep the long hairs outside of city limits while supplying a permit for the event in Laguna Canyon. Generators were also supplied secretly by the city as well through the undercover officers. Later during the festival, when city officials tried to shut the happening down completely 
the police stepped in and protected the event. This was not done because they had some sort of bleeding heart hippie change of mind. Instead, the same informants who had helped organize the festival reported there were radical anarchists in the crowd who may be willing to resort to violence in order to protect the festival. While this level of police activity may seem a little paranoid to us today, we do know that the Brotherhood of Eternal Love was highly active in this area. The Brotherhood was originally a biker gang that threw their guns into the bush after a massive group acid trip in California, declaring that making LSD and hash available would be their new mission. It's notable that the Brotherhood stole the acid that gave them this change of heart at gunpoint, but I suppose it's better to be late than never when it comes to changing your mind about violence. Nonetheless, while the Brotherhood of Eternal Love was pacifist, this was the very same group that paid the leftist terror group Weather Underground to break Timothy Leary out of prison just a few months before. It was understandable that the local law enforcement were a little paranoid, and it was this paranoia that pushed them to secretly support the festival behind the scenes. An odd twist of either fate or the providence of God, depending on who you ask. Without the undercover cops, ironically, this event may have never gotten off the ground. It might have been a total disappointment, a sort of boomer fire festival. When the big day finally came, and Christmas morning dawned, the few hippies who had already arrived for the festival awoke groggily and looked upon two seemingly contradictory sights. There was, on the one hand, an empty stage made of stolen lumber, depending on who you ask, and a line of people thousands long streaming into the site. Who was going to play the music? Radio ads and rumors had promised that incredible acts would be present, including the Beatles, who had not given a public concert in four years, and who was going to legally dissolve itself less than a week after the happening. But those were the rumors. I even heard from one of the parish priests from an Episcopal church in Laguna Beach that I talked to briefly, that this is the only detail he can remember from the event, was that people thought the Beatles were coming. Instead, no big-name professional act showed up. Once again, this seemed like it would be a disaster, that the happening would be no more. But organizer Kurt Reed simply did not seem worried. The stage was open for small and local bands and solo acts like Sea and East Utopian Missions and the music was kicked off at 6 a.m. by an unnamed young woman who played the acoustic guitar. She was one of many artists to play for the next nearly 24 hours straight. For years, it was thought that the recording audio of this event was lost, but an album in the 90s called 100% Unknown Fibers, perhaps a reference to the fact that virtually none of these bands or artists are remembered, well, a record of it began circulating. It contained a selection of music and spoken words from the event. Music, I've added clips for you to hear. And I hope you can notice that this is clearly amateur music. This was a time for anyone and everyone who thought they could pluck a guitar 
to get up and show the world what they could do. While this anarchic event was underway, police did decide to do something. They were going to put up roadblocks even across the highway and cut off Laguna Beach from the rest of California. All this to try to stop more hippies from coming to the festival. But videos of the event show vehicles lining up for more than eight miles just so hippies could walk on foot or bike to the festival through the frigid cold. Besides the fact that Laguna Beach now had more visiting hippies than residents, there was another reason the police decided to create the roadblock. And that reason, as you might be able to guess, was drugs. One TV news reporter on the scene of the happening joked that the smell of hash was so strong, it was like frankincense and myrrh offered by the wise men for the baby Jesus. LSD was also quite common, and in truly copious amounts. At one point during the festival, an announcement was made that an antipsychotic drug was needed at the medical tent because someone had drank, and I can't even imagine why, an entire bottle of LSD. Even assuming this was a small bottle, it was likely hundreds of normal doses strong. But outside of town, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, who we've already heard some about, was busy making sure that the LSD didn't run out at the festival just because of a police roadblock. During midday, a small prop plane dumped thousands of strong 300 microgram tabs of the Brotherhood of Eternal Love's Orange Sunshine LSD. It was attached to Christmas cards and just dumped all over the crowd. Responsibility for this action was claimed by the Brotherhood, who had a history of theatric distribution of these acid cards over concerts and festival goers. Although, this usually wasn't done out of airplanes, just from a balcony or something like that. 
In the midst of this drug-infused atmosphere, many different religious groups showed up. The Hare Krishnas, who are always easily identifiable by their outfits and hair, were a visible presence, dancing, singing, and cooking food for attendees. A yin-yang symbol decorated the stage as well. But throughout the happening, it never lost its explicitly Christian tone. The music often featured very Christian lyrics, and some photos I uncovered showed one musician sporting a nice gold crucifix. Announcements from the stage also made clear that this wasn't just any party. This was a birthday party for Jesus, the Son of God, even if it wasn't being presented in an orthodox, more organized religion fashion. The stage sported a gaily colored cross and a statue of Jesus. And from what I've been able to tell from witnesses, at least a couple preachers were present, as well as Christian worship musicians. Let me play you some more clips of that day so that I can show you more about the Christian tone of the event. I will caution you that there is a use of the anti-LGBTQ F slur in this recording, though it is used as a self-applied, reclaimed term of liberation common in Southern California counterculture at the time. If you understandably don't want to hear it, I'd suggest skipping forward about 45 seconds or so. As the event came to a close, or at least the main event, at the end of Christmas Day, with acid trips winding down and the air beginning to chill, thousands of attendees began to leave. However, others decided that they wanted to stay at least a couple more days, and some decided and told local reporters that they wanted to stay forever, turning Laguna Canyon, which was private property, I might add, into an impromptu commune. The police, aware of this problem, formulated a plan. 
They had originally tried to get people to disperse earlier, but to no avail. Some of the people who were there even mooned the plane of the police that flew over telling them to leave. And even as musical acts became intermittent, people remained. However, as New Year's Day approached, and hundreds of officers had been working for days straight, local and state police decided that enough was enough. They wouldn't let a group of hippies sit on that land anymore, even if, by the 28th of December, there were only about 300. So on the morning of December 28th, hundreds of heavily armed police officers crested the hill into Laguna Canyon, singing the Christmas song, Here Comes Santa Claus. Here, the story finds two different interpretations. Captain Neil Purcell claims that his officers acted with restraint. Eyewitnesses of the event, however, describe being suddenly driven from their tents in the early morning by batons, despite being given a deadline to leave by noon, hours from then. Beth Leeds reports the use of mace and baton blows, all while the hippies ran away singing protest songs as they did. Multiple witnesses and the police can agree on what happened next, though. The police demolished everything, truly annihilated it, everything. Musical equipment, the churches donated pots, pans, blankets, and other material. The cross, a statue of Jesus, medical supplies, the food, tent, stage, all of it was burned and bulldozed into total oblivion. Considering this response to the festival, and the anxiety about quote-unquote radical anarchists at the location, I tend to believe Leeds' testimony about police brutality that put an end to the festival. Perhaps because the festival ended in this way, it sent shockwaves out around California and the nation. To some, the happening was a complete disaster, a sign of declining American values and degenerate youth. The Laguna Beach City Council quickly passed legislation banning similar events in the future, and the police began performing retributive raids on counterculture members, resulting in the end of the undercover police activity and increased arrests. Far away from California, in a tiny town in Indiana, a local newspaper commentator named Louise Simmons wrote in her art column of all weird places, that Americans had, quote, the most precious heritage on earth, and that Laguna Beach hippies should be shipped overseas. Perhaps then, she said, they would cease to be degenerate do-nothings and join proper American society to defend proper American values. On the other side of the spectrum from this sort of perspective were people like Beth Leeds, Curtis Reed, and an anonymous author named Daystar. Curtis Reed, the main organizer of the event, believed that the Laguna Beach happening was the second coming of Jesus Christ. In his interpretation, the attendees of the festival were the metaphorical 144,000 of Revelation. When the LA Times printed the words Laguna Beach Sealed as the headline, it was a reference to police blockades but Reed reinterpreted this to mean that it was an angelic seal on the attendees, though he clearly knew that the newspaper meant it was a police blockade. He is recorded to have said, 
We are the second coming of Christ, for he is within all of us right now. The love that one man had 2,000 years ago, we have all experienced here at this festival. Up till the end, when the police began trying to end the event, Reed said, quote, This is God's land and a celebration in honor of God. And until some higher authority than God comes and takes the land, this thing will go on. Reed prophesied that because Jesus died in his early 30s, the Laguna Beach happening was the second coming of Christ, and a new age would begin in the year 2000, 30 years after the happening. Beth Leeds, who wrote a pamphlet on her experiences, seems to have been a true believer of Reed's prophecies. She refers to him as the prophet multiple times in her writings. And on Christmas Eve, Leeds claims that she had two visions, though she doesn't make clear whether or not drugs were involved. She claims that Jesus had appeared to her, sitting in the lotus position with a lamb in his lap. He was only about a foot tall, and she had to lean in to see this vision. Later in the evening, she also says that the room she was staying in was filled with a spiritual presence and celestial music and singing angels. She, too, believed that the prophecy of Revelation 7 and the second coming of Christ had been fulfilled in the Christmas happening of 1970. One more source, a self-identified mystical Christian and writer for the L.A. Free Press with the pseudonym Daystar, also talked about this interpretation of the event. The LA Free Press printed Daystar's article next to a huge crucifix of Jesus with the words Second Coming at Laguna Beach as the headline above it. In this printed iconography, Jesus' body is covered in a map of the world, and he has a sash with the year 1970 surrounding his body. The meaning is clear. Christ has come again, this time incarnate into the world at large. Daystar affirms this message. They believe that, quote, God was the organizer of this event. Daystar went on to say that, quote, Christ has returned in the form of thousands of chosen ones. The second coming will be felt all over the world, acknowledging the Lord. He is beyond drugs. He is. Daystar finishes the article by saying this, The valley was Bethlehem, and Laguna is the new Jerusalem. So what was this event? Was it a degenerate nightmare and an affront to American values and heritage? Or was it a revelatory event ordained by God himself? Personally, I find the degeneracy charged by pearl-clutching traditionalists to be laughable during a time where the police murdered civil rights activists and the military committed horrific war crimes around the world. As far as I'm concerned, the Laguna Beach true believers were right to try to get back to the message of Jesus. Love for God, love for enemy, and love for neighbor alike. But I can't help but feel that there's something missing from the Christmas happening. And it's something that I've often seen missing from psychedelic subculture in the 70s and the modern era as a whole. It is good to call for peace and love, obviously. 
But can one have peace and love without justice? This particularly sticks out to me looking at the testimonies of the happening. At one point, a black musician on stage begins talking about the struggle of black Americans, the war in Vietnam, and the imperialist regime of Richard Nixon. He is booed off the stage by a white organizer and a mostly white audience who just chant love, 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 love over and over again. This incident is, believe it or not, preserved in the record of the happening, and I've recorded it for y'all here. Now, with regards to justice and the law, it appears to me that my arrival in the 19th, my arrival of current, I should say, in the 1972 election for the presidency, Richard Nixon, is guilty of a very, very low-down, dirty, rat-dog, sadist tactic, in that he has taken that black woman, and he ain't got no goddamn case to go to I'm not negative, brother. I'm showing you how I feel about it. Now you listen to the positive expression in the negative frame. Negative is over. It appears that Richard Nixon is making Angela Davis a scapegoat. That is, by abusing her under the law. Nixon's human. Leave him alone. He hopes. Nixon's human. We're not attacking Nixon, brother. We're attacking a tactic. He's arrested the woman. There is no tactics but not killing and loving. That's the only tactic there is. Loving, loving, loving. 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 Loving, loving, Later, I found a number of attendees, including Beth Leeds, who decided that whoever this man was must have been an FBI agent or other law enforcement who was planted to send authorities an excuse to shut down the festival. But as I've already pointed out, it is precisely the radicalism reported by undercover cops that kept the festival safe from police intervention. By depicting discussion, mere discussion, of systemic racism or war as negativity, as opposed to the positivity of sentimental love, festival organizers and goers betrayed an incomplete understanding about both the first and second coming of Jesus. The birth of Jesus was not just a victory for the feeling of love. It was a victory for justice which is a precursor to love, an essential part of love. In Luke 1, 52-53, Mother Mary declares that God has cast down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the oppressed. He has filled the hungry with goodness and sent the rich away empty. Sentimental love, the feeling of love that we have for those around us, is a wonderful thing, and it's something that's often covered up by bigotry, hatred, and just the general feeling that we don't care about each other and that we're isolated in this world. Sentimental love gives us those butterflies and bonds us to each other as human beings. Anyone who has experienced the wonders of MDMA can tell stories of discovering love that way. But true love, whole love, must be made through justice. Without justice, Love is reduced to fluffy feel-good words or feelings 
that mean nothing in the end. In Jeremiah 6.4, the prophet says, They have treated my people's brokenness superficially, claiming peace, peace, but there's no peace. This, too often, was the attitude of white American counterculture. And this is something that black authors and black radicals, especially in the Black Panther Party, pointed out a lot. White hippies claimed to want peace, but they were not willing to truly confront the barriers to peace, especially the institutional racism they benefited from. Many one-time hippies became sellouts. And this is a stereotype that you see all the time. In message boards on the Laguna Beach happening, attendees online told the story of their attendance, and then as I clicked through their profile, I noticed that on other pages they made their allegiance to Donald Trump, declared their hatred for minorities and immigrants, and even supported Christian nationalism. Of course, this doesn't describe the vast majority of attendees, but it is notable that at least some of Reed's sealed angels who were supposed to have known the true love of Christ were bigots. More than 30 years on from the Laguna Beach happening, it is clear that no amount of hash, no amount of LSD, no amount of cool music, and no amount of nice meals made in a TP tent, to quote Beth Leeds, could possibly make Jesus return to earth. In a post-9-11 world under the shadow of war in Ukraine and genocide in Gaza, rising domestic terrorism and political unrest, it almost feels to me as if we're at a similar place as it was in 1970 America. I hope this Christmas we can learn from both the wonderful successes and the regretful shortcomings of the happening when we step up to face these challenges in our society. Looking at the successes, mutual aid, the willingness to share money, resources, and space is to be highly praised. The ability to share space with people of many different beliefs for a common goal of love is also noble. Resistance to police authoritarianism is very based. Seeing Christ incarnate in our neighbor is a beautiful thing that we see talked about in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. I don't want anybody in the comments talking about this heresy when we see it in scripture. The willingness to do something crazy, to imagine the impossible and make it happen by faith as Curtis Reed did, that's something I think we could use much more of in a world that seems to be dominated by impossibility. But the church has always been the body of Christ since the first disciples. It didn't start to be the body of Christ in 1970. It is our responsibility and our duty to put our hands to work for a better world and to look into our hearts and minds and do the hard work of rooting out our own biases. Sentimental love, evoked by drugs and music, are not the key to a better world, though they can certainly be a part. Justice is key. We cannot sit back and expect God to do all the work when the tools for liberation and equality are in our own hands. We must act against injustice, locally, nationally, and internationally. We must bind and care for the wounds of oppressed people who sometimes include ourselves, for whom we sometimes lack compassion.
this must be done in ways where the 1970 Christmas happening just didn't measure up if it's to be understood as a return of Christ. And as I close the story out, I hope we can chew on this idea into the next year. I hope we can imagine as Kurt Reed imagined. Imagining something that if he told me today, I'd think he's crazy. But somehow, the happening happened. He wanted to make the world more loving. And I think he accomplished it in many ways. But maybe now it's time for us to think about our own happenings. To think about not just how to make the world more sentimentally loving, but wholly loving through justice. Through standing up to systemic inequality and exploitation, even if there isn't a soundtrack of amateur musicians in the background to join us. We must create a psychedelic renaissance that refuses to tolerate injustice, overthrows rulers, uplifts the oppressed, fills the hungry with goodness, and sends the rich away empty, as opposed to to the stock exchange for more profit. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Psychedelic Theology Podcast. Until next time, remember, Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights, Palestine must be free, anti-Semitism is a sin, and the hostages must be free. Climate change must be stopped, for it hurts indigenous people first. Magic is real, God is real, enchantment is real, mystery is real. There is more to this world than the grinding soulless machines and resources to fuel them. I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. God bless.